Welcome to The Stumbling Spirit, Contemplations on the Path of Resilience. Whether you realize it or not, you are resilient. It's your birthright. As you take in your next breath, know this truth. It's not only about your capacity to overcome difficult situations, but it's about your courage to do the necessary work to heal, learn, grow, and move forward. What you gain is invaluable wisdom. And it's through these hard stumbles in life that we often discover a new purpose that aligns with our spirit. My name is Fabio Da Silva Fernandez, Reiki master, mindfulness coach, and mystical explorer. Join me as the Stumbling Spirit podcast highlights the lives of extraordinary people like you, sharing transformative stories and beneficial practices of resilience to guide you on your wellness journey. Thank you for joining me for this special retrospective of season one of The Stumbling Spirit. Time sure flies. It's hard to believe that I started my show last February. Since then, I interviewed 17 remarkable individuals from around the world who invited us into their lives and shared their powerful stories of resilience. I learned a lot and I'm grateful for their insights and wisdom. So what is resilience? I've come to understand that even though there are overlaps in definitions, resilience means something different from person to person, and that the word itself can bring up uncomfortable emotions. Also, the meaning of resilience can change over time, given someone's personal experience and circumstance. For me, resilience is the courage and humility to look within and understand the truth of myself, and sometimes the hard truth despite life's distractions and challenges, so that I can be present enough to know what it is that I need at any given moment. And it's continuous work that requires awareness, mindfulness, and compassion to sit with what emerges and take action. And sometimes that action just means being still. What resilience is not is my expectation of someone else's resilience. It's none of my business. What is my business is ensuring that I am not a factor in negatively impacting anyone's resilience. We can minimize that suffering with kindness, forgiveness, and demonstrating allyship with vulnerable communities. Easy, right? Well, the human condition means that we're going to make mistakes, but the call to action is keep trying. It was hard for me to choose clips for this retrospective because all of my guests were so profound. However, I've grouped this selection into six categories of resilience, which all intersect. Practical, mindful, professional, community, health, and spiritual. Now I invite you to sit back and listen to some of the wisdom shared over the past few months. Thank you for listening. Practical Resilience Every now and again, you get something that maybe is hurtful, but you can't let it phase you. You've got to stand strong. And, and you know, and I think the people with clear goals uh, and who put the work in and are motivated and de determined will be more resilient. Uh, that's sort of how I sort of see things. You know, and, uh, as, a, as a long distance runner, the better your training, the better your base, the stronger your foundation. And in life, your support groups, the stronger your support system, the more resilient you'll be. 
you know, I don't believe in luck. I believe in making your own fortune. If you do all those types of things every day, just do a little bit of extra work every day and be consistent, it's going to be hard to keep someone like that down. I think that that can be on a mental, an emotional, or a physical, or a financial level. Like I said before, we have to know when it's time to walk away. We have to know when it's time to say no. And it's okay to be a quitter, everybody. You can walk away from things if it suits you. Don't ever think that I'm not a quitter because people tell me I'm not a quitter. You want to walk away from something that's not working for you? Walk away from it because you're the most important thing here, not other people's expectations, you. It's about being adaptable because we have to adapt to new circumstances and circumstances are changing all the time from day to day, moment to moment. And we have to change our mind. We have to make decisions about things all the time. And I think that that's part of being resilient is being flexible, you know, saying, okay, it's time for me to change my career or, or change my partner or change my living space or whatever it is. It's okay to do that. If that's what you need to do, go do it. Mindful resilience. And then I think part of mindfulness is also recognizing what your current circumstances are and not being in denial of that. And so not intended as a way to bypass around issues or around feelings. It's not necessarily intended as a feel-good practice. We tend to, in our society, maybe privilege resilience over vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability and truth, seeking the truth, all of these need to be a part of building resilience. So I feel like those traits that I apply to acting, you know, I apply to my life as well. Everyone was a beautiful child at some point and certain circumstances led them a certain path. It's an easy trap to fall into to dismiss people based on their politics when really there's a human behind those thoughts and feelings. And, you know, there's usually an inciting incident as there is in all our lives, that cause people to go down a certain road. Yeah, there's horrible people that I've canceled off Facebook. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. But I think that being able to see the human behind the agenda is, is a very important tool. I was unhappy. I didn't know that there were ways to live in the world that could make it more enjoyable, more awake. And so I got very curious. You know, I, I saw consciousness go one direction, and that was mostly down. Spent a little time bartending after college and saw consciousness go one direction every night. If it can go one direction, it must be malleable. It must be able to go the other direction, too. But nobody was talking about that excellence or that cultivation or development practice of awareness, at least no one in my circles. And so I went looking for that. I was hungry for a better way. You know, some seeds require a really massive forest fire to crack them open. And I, I, I think I needed that. And, and I think I got that with my own personal suffering, that it was just lots of discontent and was looking for a better way. Professional resilience. So I accept that I have a role in what I can do to, in order to secure work but there's so much out of my power. And I feel like for me, the only thing I told myself was I refuse to believe that what I thought was my ceiling is my ceiling. Fear can be our biggest detractor, but it can also be your biggest motivator. 
It's finding that balance. Everything in life is about finding the balance. There's going to be times when you don't want to do it or you don't, you feel like it's too hard. If it's something that you really feel, then explore it. Explore it and celebrate every little baby step. I didn't really have time to pause. Well, not that I didn't really have time. I didn't have the concept and self-awareness of mindfully putting an effort to make time for myself. If you ask me what's the most important thing in life, make time. Time is so important. It's very intentional. You know, I get up, I want to have a good day. I have this daily ritual. I'm definitely making time for myself, making time to talk to you, making time to say thank you for people around. Before the pandemic, I was just running around like a headless chicken, thinking that making end meets, selling things, everything more like visually pleasing, that was enough. So now I spend more time. It's not only visually pleasing. Who am I working with? Who I want to collaborate with to put on an art show, to do it together. It's just very different now. I still have a lot of struggles and a lot of doubts pop up to the service. But now instead of dealing with the doubts, I ask myself, why is it here now? Rather than fix it right away, asking myself, why is it? What is it? And looking deeper. And it's been beautiful. Optimal performance doesn't mean the highest possible performance. It means the optimal performance. And that might not be the highest possible. It might be more sustainable. Like if you can do 100 widgets an hour, but you're going to like have a stroke when you're 45, why not do 75 widgets an hour and have no problems throughout? So what is optimal and, and what is meeting the performance goals? And, and for me, it's, it's sort of the good to great model, right? To see a longer end game than the bottom line on a quarter or a year. And, and I think businesses are going to go through this, and they are going through this growing pain around what does it actually mean to be a successful business? Does it mean to just have great numbers? Great numbers are often vacuous. I think to really have a sustainable business and a successful business and to, and to have great performance isn't to have the highest possible numbers. I think it's to support each other and to live our best lives and to live peacefully and to have everybody have enough. And so ultimately, I think if we're doing that and leaning performance in that direction, and that's where the awareness piece really comes in. When we're aware, we're aware of where we're doing harm and where we're not doing harm. We're aware of needs that we might not otherwise be aware of. We're aware of how important it is for our people to be treated like people rather than interchangeable pieces that don't matter. Community resilience. Colonization means that human beings think they are better than the earth. And so they detach themselves and their governance and their power and sense of self from the earth. And believe that they are superior to the earth and to human and animals. And so that process we can call colonization. And it means that one tribe then gets greedier than the next and wants more land or more money. And so there we have the genocide in Australia and Canada and lots of places around the world. Relearning all of the various ways in which intimacy can show up in a non-sexual way. Because you're right, intimacy is not just a sexual experience. There's there's intimacy in looking into one another's eyes. There's intimacy in that, that supportive hand on the shoulder. There's intimacy in those moments where a friend has been crying or upset and you don't really know what to do except hug them or place your hand on them or something. Those moments are deeply intimate as well. And I also think that to some degree inherently understand that 
but we feel big feelings around it and we're not sure what to do with that. For example, when we look into one another's eyes, there's a, there's a lot of groups that will take specific time to do that. You'll sit opposite one in person and you'll make eye contact. And so frequently what happens is people break down crying because we don't do that very often. We don't create that intimacy very often because we don't know what to do with the feelings that come up around that, recognizing that there's actually this full spectrum of intimacy as opposed to just one piece of the puzzle. We've all had so many varying experiences that include touch that is maybe not in the most ideal of ways. Because of that, it becomes even more important to try and relearn what touch can be, how how beneficial it can be, how important it can be to build connection, to make people feel a sense of belonging and, and to create this sense of community. I think the biggest breakthrough I see is that people have become so disconnected. I think there was a time when we naturally knew how to connect. And as children, we knew how to connect with spirit, with nature, with others. As we journey through life and different sorts of institutions and belief systems, we lose that connection and then need to come to a point in life where we choose to reconnect and remember and rediscover ourselves and walk in another way. So I find that the biggest breakthrough is that people become connected or reconnected. And the other biggest breakthrough is the recognition that they're one, that they are not separate from a tree, from an animal, from one another. So that oneness I feel comes through. It might be expressed in many, many different ways, but ultimately this is what comes through. Then there's the peace that comes through. Health resilience. Everything is predicated upon having an, a functional, vibrant body. You can't really get away from that. You can't get around it. You know, you love and start where you're at, but then you work just like anything on looking at all the different pieces of your life and, and how are they supporting or how are they hindering you when it comes to your health? Everything from the relationship component to what's the quality of the groceries you're eating? Have you taken a look at what kind of cleaning products you're using? What kind of personal care products you're using? If you're living in an urban area where there's air pollution, have you invested in a good air filter system? A lot of people, unfortunately, are under the guise that if it's on a shelf somewhere, it must be safe. Sadly, that's hardly the case. You know, sometimes we grieve things that we once had and that it is no longer there. And for me, I would say the things that I grieve the most are actually the things that I, I kind of never had and that I had always wanted, but now I'm not sure where that stands. So, you know, like, for example, I had always imagined myself to become a mother later in life. That's one example of something that was really difficult to kind of have to make a decision about if you were forced to make a decision between do you want to live? or do you want to keep these ovaries? I guess if you look at it that way, it made it a bit easier, but there's nothing easy about making a decision like that when it's not a decision that you make. There's a difference of, I don't want to have children and a difference of, I cannot have children and that option is taken away from me without me even feeling like I had a say in it. I think the way I try to feel like I'm getting some of my power back or my own agency back is to just be as authentic to myself and to others 
as much as possible. And sometimes that means making hard decisions, whether it's um, if there's certain people that you feel are not healthy in your life or no longer in a way serve you anymore, bring health in your life. And, you know, sometimes these can be friends. Sometimes they can be family. It could be certain habits that you have in your life, but learning to really think about, you know, who are the people that are kind of raising me up at this time? Cause I really have not a lot of energy to spare and not a lot of time to spare. So I've just been very choiceful and who I'd like to spend my time with knowing that is much more limited than I thought. And that I'm very protective of myself now. And I really try to make sure I surround myself with people who bring me uh, more joy and that I feel like I can just be myself and that, you know, it's kind of like a relationship where we both kind of have that same respect. I mean, I could talk about the negative aspects in terms of not being able to, to continue with my career building my career. I always think about how many people, friends around me were building their careers while I was in and out of hospitals fighting for my life. So there was the financial aspect of that. Being a mom, I got diagnosed shortly after my daughter was born. So she grew up with, you know, a mom that was in and out of hospital, very sick. And just that feeling of being a mom, I feel like sometimes almost I was robbed of that because there was so many times I couldn't be there for her. But when I think about positive aspects, I have a lot to say. I believe that if it wasn't for vasculitis, I wouldn't be the person I am today in terms of being so humble and down to earth and just, I love to help people. I have a really big heart and I appreciate the little things in life. When you think about society and how there's so much focus on, you know, we have to have a, ha- a big house. We need to own a house. We need to have expense of this, expense of that, material things. There's so many rules, like so many guidelines. And I think about how when I was laying in hospital and ICU bed, I never once thought about that. All I thought about was, have I spent enough time with my loved ones? Have I said the things I needed to say? Am I happy? That was a big one. And I still like that today. Nobody asks you if you're happy. It's what do you do for a living? It's everyone kind of looks at your status. But has anyone ever asked you if you're happy? And so I think that's how vasculitis has really has molded me differently because I just even embrace my youth. Like I love, if I want to jump in a puddle of water, I'm going to do it. If I want to play with bubbles, I do it. If I want to build sandcastles, I do it. I I just, and I love balloons. Everybody knows that about me. I always have balloons around. (laughs) For me today, I am better. I went from saying I am suffering from to I am living with. And the moment that I gave myself permission to say that and to think that, it was empowering for me. It was transformative. My self-talk has completely changed. Because for me, it's about adapting. Look, I will tell you that I am much, much, much better. I don't know. As a matter of fact, just this past weekend, I had a scare where I was experiencing just the tipping point or just the start of having a vertigo attack. And it immediately pulls you back into that threat state because you're like, "Uh oh, here it comes on again. You know, and you just you never know. It puts you in a very, very vulnerable position for that instant to think, "Okay, how long is it going to last? Where am I right now? How am I going to get home? Am I in a safe place for this to happen? you know, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't happen very often. What I am dealing with now, which is the most difficult, is still the spatial orientation. 
large crowds, significant movement. I still have difficulty on subways. All of that is hard. I did not mention, I also have hearing loss as well. For me, it's my right ear. I still live with a tinnitus. The prognosis for me is I am living with this now. However, I am in a much better place than at the first onset. And I've really adapted to how I deal with it. I mentioned earlier neuroplasticity. If you don't know much about neuroplasticity, it is really about retraining the brain to recognize its structure, functions, or connections. That really was a part of my rehabilitation. To retrain my brain so that it doesn't perceive how I'm experiencing the world as normal. I had to work really, really hard, but isn't that the beauty of the human body? The human body is resilient. It indicates to us we are sick because our body, our mind is trying to tell us something. Neuroplasticity for me gave me an understanding that through a lot of hard work, through a lot of rehabilitation, I can work at adapting to my new life. And I did, and I do, and I'm grateful for that. I would say that my life from 23 to 71 has been like walking on shards of glass with bare feet. It has been extremely hurtful, but life can be hurtful. It's the stuff of life. Suffering is the stuff of life. Very few people who would meet me would know about the shards of glass and the bare feet. And that's because this is my sacred life. And I choose to be joyful and happy and delighted by the simple things in life. Now, I I became a clinician who had a reputation for her work, not only in Canada, but the States and some would say globally. I became an educator that was global. I had several careers within a career, starting with palliative care, pain management, and then mindfulness-informed end of life, and teaching mindfulness at U of T, because mindfulness really supported me in that suffering. And even I'm shocked at how it supported me. And I don't necessarily think it was an outstanding thing to use my mindfulness to deal with my spinal injuries. But medicine was telling me there was nothing more they can do after that first surgery because I had been operated on once and they just didn't want to go near the fragility of the spine. Until about 18 months ago, a most remarkable, beautiful physician stepped up and said, I'm willing to try. And he was a neuroortho trauma surgeon. And he spelled out for me the risks. And I said, let's take the risks because I can't live this way. And he gave me back a life that I don't remember from maybe when I was 22. I walk better than I've walked since I was 22. And remembering I was a model, so I walk better now. It's a miracle surgery for me because after the surgery, my pain disappeared in my spine that I'd lived with for 48 years. I have to learn how to live anew because I can go outside and walk on my own now. I can take my dog for a walk in the forest and not fall. And my dog is very excited that I somehow started taking her for walks. I get to sit with my friends for hours instead of minutes. I get to sit up at the dining room table rather than finding sitting too difficult to to eat my meals. I have bloomed into my sort of second spring at the age of 71, 72 because of a surgeon's hand. 
I'm deeply grateful for this, but I I don't know that mindfulness and mindfulness meditation should have been used so well. I I wish science had got to me sooner, but the truth of the matter is we had to wait till science advanced. I had to stay alive from 23 to 71, and the mindfulness meditation piece helped me. I think next to the surgeon, it's about 80% of what allowed me to live and to live and transform the suffering. So to enter into the suffering that I lived with, to practice throughout the day, a hundred times a day, where's my mind? Is it on the pain or is it in the possibility? Is it on the sunlight streaming through the lace curtains or is it in the darkness of my despair? I just want to really say whether it's about dying and death or living, that we can take an attitudinal stance towards it all, that allows us to step up and into it, hold whatever's unfolding, and watch what emerges, even if it's more suffering. And at the same time, dream of the possibility that this too will end, or it will change. How do I feel about mortality? It still scares me. I don't want to go because there's so much stuff that I still want to do. But it is a fact that at any second, any one of us, our life could be over. But we can't think about that 24-7. So we kind of just sort of push forward doing stuff. It's really about finding the balance, right? Recognizing how lucky we are to have this experience, but not get, you know, paralyzed in the darker side of mortality, which is, you know, the fear or the the, the sadness or the, the, the grief. Spiritual resilience. One morning, the day before I left. And remember, I'd been sick. This this was after me being sick for so long and what have you. And I had, I don't know what you call it, a download, an awareness, I don't know, that my path needed to change. And I, if I was on this path of nurturing myself on a really deep level, I need to bring this to other women. I didn't know how, and this goes back to the how. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it was I was going to do, but it was this deep knowing that this is where my path was going. So I think our soul calls to us and I think we listen when we're ready to listen. So I think really the soul is our true selves calling for something more to show up with our greatness in the world. And we have a choice to listen or not to listen. And I think if I didn't listen and shift my path, I might actually not be here today. If you don't have access to a sense of your own spirituality, and for us, that's land um, and waters. If you don't have access to that, to a, a, a rich spiritual life, and I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about deeper human values. Some religions have elements of it. Of course, lots of religions have a whole lot of power and control and dirty money in it as well. But if we're talking about spiritual values, every human, if you don't have access to it and you're not respected for your full self, then you're going to try and find that medicine or that healing somewhere else. And poor white communities, like poor black and brown communities, try to self-medicate their pain through alcohol and drugs. Um, So it's not an excuse, but it's certainly a part of the explanation we actually have to remove the unhealthy coping mechanisms first. So the overwork or the alcohol or the drugs or the whatever the distraction is, that stuff has to be dealt with first. Then we're a little bit more stable and calmer to be able to more safely deal with the actual deep trauma and, re- and grieve 
what we weren't able to grieve. So that's a picture of an individual healing journey. But what that requires is a community of like-minded people around them, a community of spirituality, not religion, but spirituality. I'm not talking weird hooga booga spirituality. I'm talking spirituality that is rooted in the earth and where human egos removed. And then dealing with that trauma and pain and grieving safely can be done in many forms. As I said a few before, through ceremony and language, through yoga and meditation, through counseling and psychotherapy, through 12-step programs, through anything that makes sense for the individual. There's no one right answer but it's with a really clear intent to get to the bottom of it. Years ago, I learned this mantra through my work with Sanskrit mantras through my yoga teacher training. And it's the Purnam mantra that anything you take from the whole is always the whole. So when we think of the quantum blueprint, if everything is always there, then everything is always accessible. The idea of kind of tapping into the quantum blueprint of creation is that if everything that ever is has always been and always is, then it's always accessible to all of us. We just have to be aware that it's there. Om Purnamadaha Purnamidam Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyate Thank you to my guests in Season 1, Darren Waldrick, Lori Bean, Rosmina Munji, Drew Hume, Christian Lloyd, Eric Wood, Connie Lee, Gregory Phillips, Lucy DeMatos, Marilyn Kalea, Michelle Chabon, Mark Peacock, Regina Shung, Leah Morgan, Karen Warner, Jonathan Reynolds, and Greg Maxton. And thank you to my listeners. I really appreciate your loyalty and support. I'm truly grateful. Thank you for listening to The Stumbling Spirit contemplations on the path of resilience. This is Fabio da Silva Fernandez. Join me again soon for season two with more transformative stories and beneficial practices to guide you on your wellness journey. If you wish, you can follow and DM me on Instagram at the stumbling spirit. Until next time, take a deep breath and another step forward on your path of resilience.